I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, everyone. Marcel here. Before today's episode, I want to tell you about a new show that we are loving at Which Please Productions, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. If you don't already know it, I'm convinced that you're about to fall in love with a new podcast. And this is coming from me, Marcel, someone who famously doesn't really listen to podcasts. Culture Study is a podcast about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds us. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host will answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? And... Is Paw Patrol copaganda, or is it not that deep? And, like, what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Just like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter of the same name, Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. Who knows? Maybe you'll recognize some guests in the coming months. Let's then clap. Clap. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to Witch Please, a fortnightly podcast about the Harry Potter world. I'm Hannah McGregor. I'm Trevor Chow Fraser. That's right, witches. We are back with another mini-sode. It's our second Witch Please Tell Me Q&A session. And this time, because Marcel has mysteriously disappeared into a wall of mist, uh, Trevor is going to ask me some questions. Um, You tweeted them to us at the Witch Please Tell Me hashtag, and I have not seen them. Trevor has curated a selection of questions. Um, He is also very kindly hosted the recording of this in the beautiful uh, CJSR recording studio. So it's all very glamorous today. Um, So is there anything you want to add to that, Trevor? No, but I'm really excited to be able to grill you. (laughs) I hope you you only chose the hardest questions. (laughs) Yeah, I mean as excited as a robot can be. So I've got a selection of five questions off of the Twitters. And uh, as per last time, I'm going to warm you up with an easy one from myself. Nice. Oh, yeah, you're going to soft model me one. Yeah. That's great. This is like uh, at a dissertation defense. The like external always asks you the first question. And that first question is usually like, so what inspired you to write this dissertation? And it's just always like really nice. Yeah. This one might just make you angry. I don't know. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Okay. So this isn't really a confession or anything. Mm -hmm. I've never finished Harry Potter. I've read... Trevor, neither have I. (laughs) Oh, you haven't either. I don't think I've read the last book. (laughs) 
Well, I read halfway through it. Okay, no spoilers. And then, no spoilers. I've been avoiding this podcast so that I don't have anything spoiled. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I didn't really want to finish it. Like, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't want to finish it because then it's over. Yeah. And it's kind of like the world is gone. Oh. And uh, so I'm wondering, should I finish it? Or now that I've reread it again up until book seven, should I crack this open? Or should I just continue to let it live on in the ether of my mind? From what I understand, book seven is a pretty remarkable book. And I think that it is going to reshape the way that you see the rest of the books. So I think, I mean, that's a really interesting thing that Rowling does with each subsequent book is that she adds sort of depth and layers to the whole world in a way that then allows you to go revisit the earlier books and see that they have all of these really interesting depths and and hidden references and subtexts that you could not have gotten on your first read through, but that are there waiting for you as a more experienced reader and as somebody who now knows the rest of the book. And a ton of that information is in the last book, um, including some like really fascinating, like there's a recent great um, sort of new theory about the final book that I was sent via Facebook by our number one fan, Sylvie. And like things like that, that then let you go back and rethink the entire world and what's secretly been happening the whole time. Like, I think rather than closing the world down, it actually opens it out for you in ways Mm -hmm. that let you like continue to live in it for a longer time. So yeah, I think you should read the last book. Okay. Thank you for your answer to my question. I mean, I'm never going to tell anybody to not read a book. Like, that's my job. Moving on to the second question. You mentioned in there, mm-hmm. number one fan, mm-hmm. Sylvie Vigneux. Mm-hmm. Self-proclaimed number one Self-proclaimed. fan. So uh, we have a question on Twitter from Cosminator. She was wondering, uh, as number one fan Sylvie Vigneux has recently departed from Edmonton, mm-hmm. What's your fondest memory of her here? Mm. Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, There's a lot of things that I loved about sharing a city with Sylvie for two years, but probably the best one was playing baseball with her. Sylvie and a few other of our Edmonton friends started an amazing (laughs) baseball. Are you wearing a shirt right now? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yes, magic of radio. <laughs> oh, my God. Trevor's wearing a team shirt. You can't tell. Ooh, I love an audio medium. Um, yeah, a baseball team called the Prancing Ponies. We have team shirts that are amazing, um, illustrated by wonderful, talented illustrator Jonathan Dick. Um, follow him on Instagram. But it was this non-competitive, non-rules-based, radically inclusive Uh, baseball team that for people like me who don't do well at sports because of a combination of uh, being easily bored and distracted and also lacking hand-eye coordination. It was so amazing. And Sylvie was always there and always super positive, no matter how shitty you were, um, and obviously took it like very seriously to make sure that everybody had the best possible time. And it resulted in some really magical summer afternoons. Um, You know, Sylvie pitching to you and being like yeah no great job the 17th time you miss the ball she's like yeah no you came really close that time (laughs) 
You're like, I did not, Sylvie. But God bless you for saying I did. That's true. That was a great team. And I really hate baseball. Oh, God, me too. And it actually got me to come out and, you know, throw the ball around, wait for the ball yeah. to be thrown around. <laughs> a lot of waiting. It was good. Baseball is a fun. waiting intensive sport. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you for that answer to Cosminator's question. Oh, Cosminator. So, moving on to something a little more serious. Mm-hmm. There's um, nothing more serious than friendship, Trevor. There's not. And apropos, next month, mm-hmm. at least here at the University of Alberta, it's going to be uh, focusing on mental health issues with students. Mm-hmm. And so I thought this question from Nat D on Twitter was kind of interesting. It's asking, um, asking what... How, how do wizards approach mental health? For instance, is there a counselor at Hogwarts? It never seems to really come up. But do you think there is a mental health counselor at Hogwarts? I really don't think there is. I think that the wizarding world is doing a very bad job of dealing with mental health, which I think comes through in no clearer way than... So we're halfway through reading the fifth book right now, um, and that book is about Harry returning to Hogwarts after an incredibly serious trauma. There's no grief counselors were brought in in the wake of Cedric Diggory's death. Harry is clearly traumatized and everybody's response is to be real mean to him or ignore him. Um, And that's really all that happens. And I wonder, I mean, the lack of support for traumatized children which says very bad things about the pedagogical structures at Hogwarts, which we've already commented on some issues with the pedagogical structures at Hogwarts, including the lack of sexual education as well. Um, But it sort of, I think sometimes that that it might have something to do with the presence of magic, as though, like, magic seems to be a solution to everything. Right? Like it can solve plumbing problems. So, why can't it solve emotional well being problems? Like, probably if you get the right spell, you could just solve everything, um, which is so obviously not the case. But I can't imagine why it is that this would be a world in which there would just be no recourse for children. And we're talking about like the most obvious form of just like a trauma, right? Like, you know, a student died when I was in high school and we had grief like round the clock grief counselors for two weeks after her death that just like any student could leave class at any point and go talk to a grief counselor as well as some mandatory group grief counseling um and that's kind of like the bare minimum right we're not talking about dealing with like issues of teen depression and suicide which like you want to bet that maybe hogwarts has had some suicides like just statistically speaking it's pretty likely and then the amount of bullying that's allowed to go on unchecked in that school it suggests to me that that this might actually be a secret Hogwarts problem. Mm. Yeah. But then again, Rowling recently went on record saying that Hogwarts has no tuition and that it's entirely paid for by the Ministry of Magic. Um, and so, you know, that implies that there might be other forms of exciting socialism happening behind the scenes that just aren't there in the text. Mm-hmm. I'm suspicious, though. I don't think that there's any counseling there. Who the hell would be the counselor? The the nurse. Madam Pomfrey <laughs> is literally too busy, like, fixing daily horrific disasters that happen to children. 
It does seem like she's the solution to everything, though. Yeah. Everything extracurricular. It's like, go see Madame Pomfrey. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, she can't possibly also be curing those children of their trauma-related issues. You don't cure trauma. That's not how trauma works. Well, that was an excellent answer to Nat D. And it flows nicely into the next question from Andrew Hall. Is Dumbledore the true villain of the series? Yes. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I haven't read... So so this is the sort of revelation I keep alluding to, which is that I'm pretty sure I've never read the seventh book. And... um, because when people mention things from it, I'm like, I don't remember any of that at all. Whereas I remember the earlier books at least somewhat. So I think maybe I just lost interest at that point and only went to the movies, which is terrible. And I'm going to remedy it soon. Um, but w- I know some things about later in the series and sort of some revelations about the degree to which Dumbledore is masterminding various things. But what stands out for me beyond anything else, is that... So this is, you know, a young man protagonist who is being put through a series of trials. And when we actually look at every book and see who's putting him through those trials, it's Dumbledore every fucking time, right? Like, yes, okay, technically it's Quirrell, but Dumbledore knows that something is going on and could very easily have taken steps to keep students safer. Like, he lets this happen so that Harry has this, you know, opportunity to learn and confront and grow. Um, You know, in the third, fourth book, right, the um, Goblet of Fire, uh, Dumbledore could very easily have just, like, withdrawn Harry's name from the... Like, they say it's a binding magical contract, but I don't buy that. Dumbledore could have stopped that if he wanted, but he doesn't, right? He is the one who, until the later books has total control of the space that Harry resides in, which means every bad thing that happens to Harry is basically being caused by Dumbledore. And it's being caused by Dumbledore because he has um, ulterior motives that might serve more people. But like a man in a position of a huge amount of power who's willing to make individuals suffer for ulterior motives that he's decided ultimately serve the greater good. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like like every dictator ever? Because that's like unbelievably unethical behavior. So, yes. I mean, Voldemort's not great either. (laughs) I'm not claiming that Voldemort is the secret hero of the book. Maybe there are two villains. Yeah, I think you could have... Two or more villains. Two or more villains. You can have multiple villains, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I'm suspicious of Dumbledore as a character. I'm... Which is why I'm excited by that that theory that Sylvie sent me the information about, which I'm not going to mention because I don't want to ruin the seventh book for you thank you you're You're very considerate and it was a very considered answer to andrew hall on twitter who had a million questions all of which are great um but i can only choose one yeah well you know andrew's hedginess bets you know that if he puts a ton of questions in chances are one is going to be chosen that is a smart strategy and I think this one was his throwaway question. What? Which is why I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Trevor is the world's biggest troll. <laughs> 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Robot troll. Just two more questions left. So exciting. Yeah. So I think that we will go with this question from Jason Purcell. Oh, hi, Jason. And I think it's a really great question, which you've already kind of touched on earlier. Does having magical ability in the wizarding world impede the development of religion, as religion often focuses around pseudo-magical rituals and events and powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Earlier you were talking about how maybe having magic... Impedes, like, the development of other forms of, of social goods. Yeah, yeah. And when we think about the way that the wizarding world seems to be sort of trapped in, like, 1910, it suggests that having magic has impeded the development of all kinds of things, right? That, like, modernity, as we know it in the muggle world, was something that we had to produce to compensate for the lack of magic. And it's interesting to think of religion as being a parallel to that, um, though I would almost, I almost want to reverse it and say that there's a lot of ways I think you could think within Rowling's world of religion itself as being... Um, a sort of attempt to explain the existence of magic in the world, right? So it's not that the wizarding world has had religion, had the development of religion impeded by the presence of magic, but rather that religion itself is one of many attempts to account for a world that people sense is present, but that they don't necessarily have direct access to, right? So when you think about, you know, St. George fighting the dragon, right? We sort of Religion is made up of myth and ritual and is full of um, attempts to account for the inexplicable in the world. Whether we go back to the old Greek myths that were attempts to account for, you know, science itself when there wasn't yet a system for thinking that through. Or when we look at contemporary religious forms, which are attempts to account for mortality and human suffering and just how overwhelming and terrifying the modern world is. Um, You know, religion is... a a belief system that takes a messy, chaotic world and attempts to sort of infuse some meaning into it. Um, But the ways like that, what that meaning comes from seems to me to always have, this is going to be, I'm going to offend some of our listeners so much by being like, like religious people just wish they were wizards. But like the Pope just wishes he was a wizard. Look at him with his like big wizard hat, his like long wizard robe, driving around in what he wishes was a cool thestral drawn carriage but isn't it's just a dumb pope car pope you know mobile. pope mobile i apologize um you know saint george and the dragon you know if the dragon is supposed to be an image of the devil you know can you think of the dragon as of that story as an actual attempt to account for the real presence of dragons um you know so i i 
I like that idea more because it doesn't suggest that religion is a sort of natural human response to the world that wizards have not had because they have magic. It suggests rather that magic is a natural thing in the world and that religion is the thing that muggles developed because they didn't have it, Mm. which is sad. So I like the sad version of the world. Who knows? Figures. It's just spoken. It's just because my religion is being a fucking witch. So, <laughs> so yeah. There's no divide there. I mean, it does seem that the wizarding world in Harry Potter is very secular in that they they feel like they can explain everything. Mm-hmm. There's no mystery really. Mm-hmm. Just like, just like we have mysteries, but we think that mm-hmm. science can eventually figure them out. Yeah, they figure that magic can eventually figure everything out. Well, I think magic isn't about figuring things out in the same way. Magic is about accepting dimensions of mystery in the world, dimensions of unknowability. Um, you know, death itself is this form of unknowability in the wizarding world um, that you're discouraged from fearing because the unknown shouldn't be fearful. And I think that the wizarding world is generally more accepting of what's unknown, what lies beyond the edges of their belief system, what lies beyond the edges of their world. Like, that's just okay for the world to be a little chaotic, a little messy, because magic doesn't explain it. Magic just sort of justifies it, mm-hmm. right? And whereas science needs to be constantly explaining things. Um, not that I'm anti-science. Science is great. I'm, like, really, really into vaccines. I love them. Everybody go get vaccinated. Get the flu vaccine. Sure. It's not too early. September is starting in like three days. Everybody's going back to school. Just flu vaccines for everybody, which please officially endorses the <laughs> flu vaccine. I think it might actually be too early because they haven't. Shut up. You don't know. But, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for answering that question from Jason Purcell. Thanks for the question, Jason. Okay, so we're at the last question oh, of this so mini sode. I hope it isn't hard. It's um, topical. Ooh. I mean, at this point in the series. So this is a question from Bridget Stemmler on Twitter. She asks, what does the opposition of house elves to spew mean? Is it that someone unnamed has a muggle-born savior complex? Mm-hmm. The opposition to spew on from the, house elves from the part of house elves perhaps you could say resistance to yeah. spew from house elves yeah so the why why is it that the house elves are not interested in being liberated from their slavery by hermione mm-hmm. um that is it's such a tricky question because so there's two sides to it right on the one hand you have the fact that suffering from systemic forms of oppression often leads to people internalizing and rationalizing that oppression and so you get um women who um vehemently support patriarchal systems and you get a belief that there must be something right or rational about the way the world works um which makes mm. sense because if you're in a position of being oppressed for generation after generation, you know, that's a way of making it make sense. And so on one hand, I'm suspicious of the way that the elves themselves claim that they're perfectly happy as they are and more suspicious of how many authority figures at Hogwarts claim that the elves are perfectly happy the way they are. That makes me very suspicious when everybody says like, oh, they love it. They love serving us. They wouldn't want to be paid. That sounds 
so much like justifications against um, like the abolition of slavery. Uh, and it just it just creeps me right out. But then on the other hand, there's this really problematic trope of white feminists having savior complexes where they believe that they know what is better for everybody else, um, where they believe that other people are suffering from false consciousness and need to be liberated into freedom by, you know, being told how oppressed they are. Like if you just shout at somebody that they're oppressed for long enough, then they'll just like spontaneously become free. Um, and that what Hermione is doing through Spew is in fact incredibly sort of imperialistic in its behavior, right? Especially when she starts knitting uh, hats for the house elves and leaving them around, hoping that they'll accidentally pick them up and she'll like trick them into freedom. Um, like that's also incredibly unethical. You know, so I think I think I am on the side of her politics and very much against the way that she enacts them. But I don't know, I think ultimately because the view of house elf politics that we get is so, so, so curtailed through the fact that we're seeing Harry's perspective on Hermione's politics and Hermione's politics themselves are a problematic perspective. You know, she's young. She doesn't know how to do politics yet. That it's almost impossible to know what the house elves themselves want and like what forms of real resistance might exist within them, what forms of dissatisfactions, what forms of suffering, um, because nobody is actually being a good ally to the house elves. She's just like violently imposing her beliefs on them from outside. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know how to read that because I don't think the books give us enough space to actually know what to make of the house elves themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll be interested to see if as we get further on in the books, if there's more clues to sort of make more of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I believe as you get into book five, that's when it really comes Takes to the off, fore, huh? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then Dobby's so that's a little teaser. Oh, oh, so exciting. <laughs> I swear the next episode we're going to talk about book five. One of these days. <laughs> we're both halfway through it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Good questions, everybody. Okay, man, our listeners are so smart. Yeah, and there were lots of questions on the hashtag, mm -hmm. which please tell me. Uh, many we couldn't get to today. Many people want to know, you know, what you're going to look at after Harry Potter, if there are other books you're into. But, you know, you've got months and months ahead of you just yep. with Harry Potter. So yep. Especially I don't, now I don't that think it's worth thinking about. Now that we've added our extended universe episodes, we're going to do a future episode on... Uh, local Quidditch teams. There's going to be episodes on fan fiction. There's lots. There's lots more to delve into. I'm pretty sure I'm going to try to convince Marcel to play Pottermore with me. Um, see if we can uncover some of the secret additional material in there. So we can keep this going. We're going to keep this going until one of us gets too busy. <laughs> Stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening to another mini-sode of Witch Please. You can find us on iTunes. Trevor and I are going to work on figuring out why the first three episodes aren't showing up on iTunes right now, but you can definitely find those on our website. Trevor knows, so Trevor's going to fix that. You can definitely find all of the episodes on our website, ohwitchplease.ca. Do subscribe on iTunes because... 
That makes us happy. And while you're on there, uh, you should rate and review us because that makes us even happier. Um, if you want to join in the fun, fun Twitter conversation, you can follow us at ohwitchplease. Um, we're very responsive. So ask us questions on there and we will probably answer them. Shout out to all of our new listeners. We've got a ton of new listeners in the past week, which deserves an extra special shout out to Jason Purcell and Emily Hoven, who interviewed us for a couple of videos on Jason's YouTube channel. Um, which you should definitely check out. There's links to that on our Twitter. Um, the interviews are very fun. And Jason is single-handedly responsible for making us appealing to the young generation. So thanks for keeping us trendy, Jason. We'll be back in two weeks' time with our next episode, which, fingers crossed, will be the first half of book five. But until then... do 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 Later, witches. <laughs> Is that a reference to something? Is that... He's just doing it to troll us. It is a reference. Mm-hmm. Someday, maybe you'll figure it out.